We haven't had a pre-credit sequence for a few weeks, have we? Mm-hmm. We're just running dry, aren't we? We are. We need something to happen, like the the ship to blow up. And it's the house. Oh, the house to blow up. That would be unfortunate. And then we go into the opening credits, and then we come back out of the opening credits, and the house is intact. Oh. And then everyone's going, Oh, what's occurring? Find some explosion sound effects. Okay. Ah, the house is exploding around us. A56-7W, classified top secret subject is... Hey, Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better. Stronger. Sweeties, and welcome as the Hey Kids Comics Spider Month train continues to rattle forth. Once again, we're hip deep in Spider Man. Oh, yes. Be careful he doesn't shoot his webs on you. That would be bad. A few bits of business before we start up. My good buddy Michael Bailey is resurrecting views from the long box. Oh, Hurrah! So I was wondering uh, who did what the other day. A very excellent comic book podcast. So, who does 20 minute long box? That's Stephen Lacey does 20 minute long box. Right. Michael Bailey does views from the long box. Oh, views from the long box has never only been 20 minutes. What was I doing? Oh yes, he too is celebrating Spider-Man's 50th anniversary over at viewsfromthelongbox.com. So go forth and check it out. And if you've timed it right, I may be on one of them. Are you? Yes. Oh yeah. And we've not recorded it yet, yeah. as of this, but we plan on. Have you heard about the five issue miniseries Spider Man's fiftieth anniversary? What like the one they're doing with the Hulk? Yeah. Yeah. I'll check that out. Secondly, Michael's contribution to the show this week Mine. is that we should read emails as they arrive rather than doing feedback shows. I thought that was the plan of doing the feedback ones, we could catch up and then do them as we get them. I I quite like feedback shows, they're easy since I'm the one that does all the heavy lifting. I do when it's something I'm interested in. Our letter, yeah, I don't. Our le- our email this week is from Luke Giaconetti again. Hello, Luke. Hello, Luke. Hailing frequencies open, Leyland. I like that. That okay. avoids the whole Michael and Andrew shtick. I suppose so. Or you would probably work just as well, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> just listen to your always entertaining listener feedback episode. Oh, so perhaps people do like the listener feedback ones. Mm. The ratings on the listener feedback ones are never as good as the other shows. Are they not? No. Mm. Uh, I know, Luke continues, I do not only find it entertaining because I was all over it. Oh, that's what he says. That's what he's telling us. Yeah. Regarding my greetings and emails, I always try to use a different salutation just to see how many ways I can figure out a way to open an email. Oi, lad. (laughs) Oi. For Andy's benefit, I will refrain from using old in the future. Yes. Young man. Young man? Yeah. And regarding master, traditionally it was used for a young man who had not yet entered society. Ah, your society. I'm avoiding society. Oh, do you not like society? Uh, Here in North America, you normally become Mr. once you get into high school. So in the future, I shall address both of you as the Mr. Leylands, like in a Jane Austen novel. (laughs) I don't mind that. I'm not wearing a corset, though, for anyone. I'd wear a corset. (laughs) (laughs) 
far too much about you than I really want to know. Uh, by the way, yes, Action Force was an offshoot of Action Man. Much as the three and three quarter inch, 9.5 centimetres G.I. Joe, a real American hero, was an update of the 12 inch G.I. Joe toys, Action Force was Palitoy's three and three quarter inch update of the 12 inch Action Man line. There's a lot of inches going on there. <laughs> Action Force started in 1982. It's all about the girth, girth yes. Yeah. Same as G.I. Joe, a real American hero. No and had their own, there's, there's no girth. The, no. Yes. Action Force started in 1982, same as G.I. Joe, Ara. A real American hero, and had their own characters and storylines for a few years, using parts licensed from Hasbro mixed with their own creations. Following the death of one of the owners of Palatoy, oh, I wonder if that's why Star Wars stopped being Palatoy and became Kenner. Maybe. Possibly. Hasbro moved into the European market and Action Force because of the international brand iteration of Joe. G.I. Joe. I'm messing that up. From there, the lines essentially merged just with different names. There's been a minor revival of Action Force in the modern G.I. Joe fandom, including some new versions of the old Action Force exclusive characters. And Action Man himself was eventually released in three and three quarter inch format, with his character being that of an international secret agent on loan to the Joes for special missions. Pretty cool stuff. I, I, I think our action man was cooler. He had real yeah. hair. Yeah. He had real like felt hair, didn't he? he and eagle eyes. He's got real hair now. You know, yeah, they've all got plastic hair now. You're not beating the eagle eyes. I'm not beating the eagle eyes. Sorry, the no figure. Maybe the bionic man one where he had the bionic eye and you look through the back of his head. Yeah. Maybe that one was as cool as eagle eyes. But eagle eyes was, was the thing. Ah, uh, Luke Sleemail carries on. I am not one to talk on and on about myself. But as my origins were processed in question, we'll do it for you, Luke. Here we go. I was born in 1980. So, Andy, you were pretty close, guessing my age. Predator and Robocop were both released in the summer of 87, and it was the greatest double feature of all time. And I live in South Carolina, though I am from New York, so my accent is all over the place. Now, this part of the email is addressed to Michael. One of my favourite quotes, hello Michael, is from my favourite film of all time, Phantom of the Paradise, directed by Brian De Palma. A character named Philbin, the right-hand man of hugely successful music producer, tells the main character that a song is a song. Either dig it or you don't. So don't feel like you should have to defend why you like the comics you like. What about middle ground? What about middle ground? If you either dig it or you don't, what's the middle ground? There is no middle ground. What if you don't particularly like a song but you don't dislike it? It's alright. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you're, you're taking us off point there. Okay. There are tons of comics in my collection, which comic book critics and bloggers say are garbage, but I enjoy immensely. That's probably because Deathlock is. Deathlock, great! <laughs> I, I don't know if he does like Deathlock, but it's, I like it's Deathlock. The first thing I saw the. Get out! <laughs> I have the first two issues of the revamp they did. Don't care about the revamp. The Rich Buckler original Deathlock is awesome. Anyway, so if you like it, says Luke, go on ahead and enjoy it. Now, I'll argue the merits of one comic versus another, but I would never cast aspersions because of what you like to read. In the case of Morrison, he's written some stuff I really liked and some stuff which I thought made no sense whatsoever. So he's not a take-it-or-leave-it proposition for me like he is for some. And as far as getting corrected, don't sweat it. Being wrong is fine. Happens to the best of us. Doesn't happen to me. Especially to me. <laughs> Especially on a podcast where you get an idea and you can't go run off and look it up or something. I recently said on a podcast that Iron Fist was never an Avenger. Yeah. And within a few hours of it going live, I had people correcting me on that one. Yes. I don't get what that last bit's about. Well, looking I, forward to Spider-Man. No, no, I don't remember what I said that had me corrected. 
there's probably too many to, to recall at this point. <laughs> um, the most recent one was that the Dick Cole's not very good. No, I think I was right. About no, that. no, I, I don't, I don't agree with you at all on that one. Um, speaking of Spider-Man month, thank you, Luke, which Luke is greatly looking forward to. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at a few noteworthy tales from the 60s, and then we spun off to look at a few of the spin-off titles that followed in the wake of Spider-Man's meteoric rise to popularity. 30 years later. Well, 20 years later at this point. We covered the 90s, didn't we? We did, but I kind of bent my own rules a little bit there. Oh, oh, oh rules are you've never break. done that before. I've never, ever done that before. R- rules are I like to, today. I like to set myself rules for this show that then I can just go, ah, screw it, it's my show. <laughs> oh, I don't break my rules, I will do. This week, it's books from the 80s! Because we completely skipped out the 70s. As far as I'm concerned, Spider-Man's second golden age. Well, the 70s was okay. But it was alright. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of... I, I did open up about including a lot of Jerry Conway, Ross Andrews stuff from the 70s. And I did think, let's do some of the original Clone Saga. Right. And I did, I did, I did ponder that one compare long enough. We couldn't compare the two. The, the new Clone Saga goes on for 408 years. <laughs> oh, that's just what it feels like. And I did ponder doing Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man issue 1 yeah and I did ponder doing a couple of other things from the 70s and then I thought nah I can't be bothered we did think about doing Death to Go and Stairs didn't we but everybody does that we don't want to do what everyone else does so three shiny 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 comics cover a character when he really comes out shush Petfold three shiny comic book shiny goodnesses from the 1980s which were by and large a pretty good decade for everybody's favourite wall crawler as he gained a new book Web of Spider-Man a new costume and a new bride or did he? did he? Mm. I can't remember I don't no one's ever said anything about it no nobody mentions it I'm sure they would have corrected it by now I'm sure it would crop up every now and again if you got married wouldn't it? yeah anyway this time we're going to be looking at a number of books from this very decade some pivotal in the life of Peter Parker and a couple that are just my favourites. We're kicking off with an all-time favourite of mine that I'm sure Michael is going to take the mick out of. I, I was going to until I read the end. From Amazing Spider-Man 200. If you're dissing the end of this, no, I'm not. we may be dissolving our partnership. No, I didn't say I'm dissing it. I was saying I was taking the mick out of it until I read the end and I was a bit like, oh. Right, okay, fair enough. All-time favourite of mine. back all the Peter Phillip jokes now. Good. From Amazing Spider-Man 248, I have removed it from its little mylar snuggie, <laughs> where it lives like it's a little goodly sleeping man. In its vacuum space. Yes. It had a January 1984 cover date, but actually came out on the 4th of October 1983. The cover is excellent. It's a young lad pinning up a poster of Spider-Man battling former Wrecking Crew member Thunderball while Spidey puts his hand on his shoulder. So it's an imaginative, imaginative way of doing a cover for both stories in the issue. It is indeed. It's very good, isn't it? It's by John Romita Jr. and Terry Austin. Uh, I mentioned last time Romita Jr. had a different inker almost every month when he was doing Spider-Man. But rather than hinder the artwork, this actually helped as Romita obviously looked at the different approaches and modified his art accordingly, helping him to grow and develop as an artist. Terry Austin inked this one, as we've waxed lyrical about Austin before. He's one of those inkers who brings his own stamp to the material but never completely subsumes the penciler. 
Um, I love the poster of this. The poster. I love that the poster on the cover is almost 3D. Like that wrecking ball looks yeah. like it's, it's swooping out of the picture. It's a great cover, that, isn't it? What do you think of it, Michael? I like it. It's good, there's, isn't there's, the, the, it? It's not really current Romita Jr., but the thick lines for the ink in the part. Uh, well, Romita Jr. has changed so much as an artist since this, hasn't it? Yeah. Even comparing this to the Spider-Man issue we covered last week, which is actually ten years hence from this issue, yeah. the artwork's completely different, isn't it? It's barely recognisable as being the same and guy. And then it's changed from then And then well. it's changed from then again. I don't like it as much now Do you not? as I did in, these, in the 80s and the 90s. That issue we covered last week was awesome, Spider-Man 75. Yeah. I think he draws his ankles too thin now, and necks are a bit too thin. And heads are square. Yeah. It's like... His evolution has taken him down the path now where I'm not as fond mm. as I... I mean, he'll still knock it out of the park occasionally. Kick-Ass is awesome. Yeah, otherwise and, it is. Yeah, but that's what I'm on about. And the ass. cover to Amazing Spider-Man 600, yeah. which we have autographed, uh-huh. is awesome. But, for, yeah, his, his evolution throughout the 80s and 90s was excellent, and then something's happened in the noughties where I still think he's Later excellent. On. Yeah, later on in the noughties. The first story in this issue, because there are two, is And He Strikes Like Thunderball. And He Strikes Like Thunderball! Tom Jones passed out after singing that note. I just managed it with no problem. Did it? Yeah. Andrew Jones later. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm playing Las Vegas every week for the next 40 years. Well, anyone you know, can play. I was watching an episode of Starsky Nuts today from 1976. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. And do you know who was playing in Las Vegas? Tom Jones. Tom Jones. It's <laughs> like <laughs> he's not stopped playing in Las Vegas. As we mentioned, uh, this story is artistically rendered by John Romita Jr. and Brett Breeding, and it is jolly good. Like I mentioned last time, it's another example of the wonderful two-part stories that Stern made his trademark during his tenure on the book, and succeeds as a balls-out action story, pitting Spider-Man once again up against a bad guy clearly out of his league. Quite literally. It was fun. Balls out. Yeah, do you like that? I did. That was quite subtle until you kind of hung a lantern on it. <laughs> Don't believe that. Well, look, I'm Seth MacFarlane. Yes, let's let's belabor the joke. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, Thunderball is out of his league because he gets his power from Asgard. I thought he was Wrecking Ball or something. Yes, it, it's Asgardian in origin. Yeah, I know. So Spider-Man's seriously out of his league here. The Wrecking Crew. Yes, but our boy's tenacity and brains win out again. Any other time. This would have been the crowning achievement, but that isn't why I want to talk about this issue. No, I want to look at the second story in the book, The Kid Who Collects Spider-Man. Did you even read the first story? You told me not to. Oh. And you do everything I tell you to? Well, since you're my dad, I can't even read it. that were true. <laughs> Kirby Collects Spider-Man was written by Roger Stern with pencil breakdowns by Ron Friends and finishes by Terry Austin. Both stories were part of Assistant Editors Month, an editorially mandated stunt that saw the assistant editors take over whilst the real editors buggered off to the San Diego Comic Con. This round from the wonderful John Byrne actually appearing at the trial of Reed Richards in the Fantastic Four, The Thing fighting Goody Two-Shoes and Snowbird in Alpha Flight fighting in a snowstorm, resulting in numerous blank pages. Yes. Um, David Letterman appeared in the Avengers. 
Okay. And then there was the slightly ridiculous Marvel team-up had Aunt May and Franklin Richards teaming up against Galactus. I would pay money for it to read I've that. I've got that issue if you want to read it. Uh, there was a spoof Captain America cover where all the editors were looking out the window as Modoc held cap, prone and aloft, beaten. Uh, and Fred Hembeck wrote and drew a complete issue of Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider-Man. He's the guy who does the funny comedy where everyone else... Oh, I know him. Like, like Sergio Aragone. He's kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, I know him. That issue resulted in my first ever letter to a comic book company, and it got printed. You wrote a letter? I wrote a letter. Why, what was it? I wrote a letter to Marvel's Spider-Man UK comic yeah. after they published that issue, saying I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> you still have it? No, alas. You, you no, I should have done really. This is my only yes. thought. I wrote a letter and it got published in a Marvel comic. But it got published in a British world, so it doesn't count. Not really. <laughs> I'll ask Nancy if she's got it. Yeah. The story, however, is sublime. Bob Di Natale was the assistant editor responsible, whilst Joe Rosen lettered and Christy Shield coloured. The story's quite simple. Jacob Conover, a columnist for the Daily Bugle, writes Conover's Corner, and this article is all about a young nine-year-old boy named Timothy Harrison who collects Spider-Man memorabilia. Spider-Man visits the young lad after reading the article because, in the punch-in-the-gut ending, it's revealed that Timmy has cancer and is not expected to live. Oh. Was it leukemia? Yes, it was. I couldn't spell leukemia. <laughs> L-E-U-K. <laughs> I failed the spelling bee. E-E-M. Whatever. Page one is a lovely little splash page by friends in Austin who draw Spider-Man a little more Ditko-y than Ramita Jr. whose obvious influence is his dad. And the scallops on the suit are definitely Ditko. Friends sets his stall out as how he'll portraying the wall crawler in upcoming months when he takes her... Upcoming monks? <laughs> upcoming months? Sorry. Spider-monk. Spider-monk. Is this like uh, uh, the Spanish Spider-Man? Invigilating the word of God. <laughs> the peaceful way. <laughs> We do not engage in fisticuffs, Mr. Octopus. Doctor! Doctor Octopus! Simpsons all Yes. Anyway, uh, Austin's inking adds to the feel of spideriness with lots of shading and darkness. Both artistic interpretations of the character are equally valid. I have no problem with either. Tim has a, a Hindelbrandt, or Hildebrandt, I think that's how you pronounce it. Star Wars poster on the wall, which I assume Marvel got away with as they had the license to Star Wars at the time. At the time. At the time, yeah. I wonder if they reprint this if they have to blank that out. Do you know, I don't know that. No, that's a fair question. So, uh, so Tim collects Spider-Man. Yes, he does. Also known for having this hobby is Craven the Hunter. However, <laughs> in place of hunting rifle, Tim has a net. Tim dreams that one day Spider-Man will be his pet. He already has his food bowl. <laughs> so you're saying Tim's like Craven? And he just wants his head on the wall. Oh, no, no. He wants him to be his pet. The ultimate. With a collar and a food bowl. The ultimate collectible. Uh, and a little little pillow on the floor so he can co- roll up and sleep. I do like that the, the carpet's um, messed up underneath his bed. Oh, yeah. That's quite a nice touch. Unless carpet. there's a mouse living there's on it. There's floorboards under it. Yeah, it's not a carpet that covers the entire room. Well, no. I mean, when was the last time we went into a hospital room and it was floorboards? You were just giving away the ending. You, you <laughs> no, I'm just winding you up. <laughs> I've already done the synopsis. I'm giving away the end. Friends continues his Ditko homage into page two, the shot in panel two that could almost be Ditko. Couldn't it, that one? Yeah. He's got a very round bottom. Yes. <laughs> you, you didn't know what to say to that, did you? Sorry. No, not, not at all. No. Page three, Stern has a very interesting storytelling type vice. 
I can't speak tonight. Throughout the entire story, having tonight. snippets ever, apparently. Uh, is the snippets of Conover's article to add background to Timothy Harrison and ultimately reveal the reason Spider-Man's visiting. Again, we see an example of the sliding timeline the Marvel Universe operates on. Tim's age is given as being nine. Although, it has to be said, Ron Friends makes him look about 12, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, and Conover's article makes reference to Tim being a child when Spider-Man appeared on TV back in Amazing Fantasy and Amazing Spider-Man number one. This story saw print in 1984, meaning that Spider-Man's been around since about 76, 77 at the time of writing, making Peter in between 21 and 22 years old here. Granted, this kind of thing's only interesting to me. I don't know what everyone else thinks about me doing this every week. But I'd love to know, once again, the maths that Mr. Bendis used. Yeah. By his reckoning, Spider-Man was at least 35 years old by the time he got to Straczynski's room. Yeah. Because ten years down the line from this, in the Clone Saga, mm-hmm. we'll establish in the writing that Peter Parker has only been Spider-Man for seven and a half years. Right. So, maybe Bendis flunked maths. Yeah, maybe. It's always possible, isn't it? Again, if this story had been told today, I presume Spider-Man's TV career would be all over YouTube. And surely it would have been released as a cash grab DVD by now, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. All of Spider-Man's guest appearances on this DVD that no one makes money from. <laughs> Including, don't you web up. <laughs> oh, dear me. So how did Spidey find out where Tim lives? It never says in the article. Where I, is he, Michael? I, uh, not lives. Where is he, Michael? In the hospital. Yes, that is specifically designated for sufferers of leukaemia. Right. So, do you think Peter went to all the trouble of just say, "Oh, looking in a phone book"? Well, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know. He... <laughs> but I didn't. A better question would be, how did he know which room he was well, in? Yeah, uh, all he does is jump through the window. Yeah, but oh, we don't baby. know. Prior to this, he spent an hour creeping around looking at everybody's <laughs> window, and everyone thought he was a peeping tom. And oh. people started shooting at him. And tomorrow's Daily Bugle headline is going to be Peeping Tom, Spider Menace, looking at kids' windows, run him out and of town. As Peter Parker, he went in the Asprey's room to say as that as a follow-up he's... story for the Bugle. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. There you go, you've no prized yourself out of your own problem. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> As I said last week, Stan listens to this show. He does. Yes. <laughs> hey there, true believer. <laughs> I'm going to send you a no prize. Oh, yeah. Hold down. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no clue. Don't know where that came from. Why, the why, why, is he, why has he become Colonel Sanders? <laughs> Stanley Excelsior Chicken. <laughs> Excelsior, true believer! We even cook the heads! <laughs> oh, Page four. I do love in the flashback, Peter's face is obscured. There's something wonderfully comic booky about that, because he's only telling him Tim can't see these pictures, Peter. Yeah. This is all in your head, dude. Maybe maybe Tim has a uh, mental powers. Maybe he's got a mentor fish in yeah. his cupboard, just swimming around in a bowl. <laughs> Why would you keep him in the cupboard? I don't know. Maybe he's scared of fish. Why would you have a fish? Maybe he's just like him looking at him all night, and he's swimming around in his bowl. Maybe Tim just lies in bed going, that fish is freaking me out. Stop looking at me. Don't do that with your mouth. Very, yeah, it's very freaky. Page six. Stern just understands Spider-Man completely. 
from the comedic ringer issue that we covered last time to the pathos here, Stern doesn't lay it on too thick, like some writers would do. Just one line of dialogue and the moody, hunched shoulder shot of Spider-Man successfully carries the guilt that Peter carries with him. Ah. Oh. Well, page six, Spidey yeah. says that Uncle Ben was killed a few weeks after the robbery. Yeah. I thought it was the same day. Yeah, in the comics, no. Oh, right. In the film, it was the same day. Right. In the comics, it was a few weeks later. Oh, right. By oh, pure right. chance, he just happened to wander over to Queens and break into that house. Oh, it does right. beg the question that, why well, does he remember his face? I don't remember people I bumped into on the street yesterday. Oh, yeah. So, but, yeah, you know. One of the things I did like about the film that it compressed the origin. Yeah, because I watched that not long ago, the Spider-Man movie, the Sam Raimi one. Uh, there's a wonderful little transition on page eight, where the Conover's corner piece leads directly into the main story in a really subtle way. Conover asks about Spider-Man's relationship with the press, which is tumultuous at best, and that it does it bother him that Spider-Man receives little to no good press, but that it has given him a completely new scrapbook. Which is cool. We then cut to Spider-Man and Timmy having a good laugh at the scrapbook of all the retractions Jonah's had to publish over the years. <laughs> there is a retraction from the time Jameson accused me of being Electro. Oh, we hated to run that one. Well, I, I like how the room looks like a bedroom until about page eight. Yeah, it doesn't give anything away, does it? No. It's really you, start, you see things like the bed in more detail. Mm. There's lots of little subtle touches, like the, what the bed looks like a hospital bed, yeah, not a proper bed. The bottom of page seven has another one of those wonderful multiple Spider-Man panels showing him dodging bullets, which was always cool. I always like that. Page nine, panel six, the shot where Spider-Man takes his mask off and reveals who he is to Tim. I really is, like that. Yeah, it's wonderfully lit, and the line in panel two that Tim won't tell anyone as long as he lives is really quite touching in hindsight, because page 11 really is a very effective punch in the gut. Whilst there's an argument to be made that from the minute Spider-Man takes his mask off, it was a foregone conclusion, but comics didn't really deal with topics like this much back in mm. the day, and the fact that Stern does it so subtly is very commendable. As a kid, this really made me think, and I even gave me Nana a copy of this to read. Did you? Yeah, and she did. She read it, enjoyed it a lot, and it may even let her realise that comics weren't silly. But it's a story that this actually gets more affecting as you grow older. If you've ever been unfortunate enough to watch a relative die from cancer, then this story really hits at home. Uh, Stern does a fantastic job of just telling the story. He doesn't milk it, he doesn't get overly sentimental or mawkish, he just delivers a wonderful little slice-of-life story with a really upsetting ending. The art's great throughout. Friends showing just why you're going to be one of my favourite Spider-Man artists and he's in all he's the artist for all three of the comics I've picked for this show. And whilst it's no coincidence it does show how prolific a Spider-Man artist he was in the 80s and how memorable his stuff was. But do you like the ending? Uh, I like the issue, yeah. Because I was a bit what's about giving you this because this is ripe for your cynical detached teenagehood to take the mick out of. Oh, and at, at the start it was until it's like... And then you're um, like, oh... Why, why is he saying he's Peter Parker? Why is this, he telling this, him who he what, is? What? So, oh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I like the ending. I like that the last page has no words. I like stories like these, though. I, I, for some reason, I, I quite like depressing stories. <laughs> you got like miserable. You like being yeah. miserable, do you? You know that. that the you f- like to go in your bedroom and have a good week. <laughs> well, you know, you know the 50th episode of Family Guy where it's just Brian and Stu in a vault and it's quite deep. For Family Guy, yeah. Well, no, it's yeah. But that's like my favourite episode because it is the type of stuff I like. They're not just being frivolous and stupid. No. Yeah. 
Oh, fair enough. I like that he just has a minute as well at the end. The Spider-Man yeah. just stands and hangs his head and then swings off because there's not really a lot he can do. Not really. It's very sad. This story was adapted into a two-part episode from the third season of the 90s animated series. Did you milk it for two episodes? Mashed, well, they mashed it up with a very loose adaptation of the Spider-Man teams up with Dr. Octopus because he has amnesia storyline from the late 1960s. <laughs> yeah, sprinkled with some god-awful accents. <laughs> the... the um, there's a horrible taxi driver in it with a South American accent that I'm not even going South African accent that I'm not even going to try and attempt to do. It's truly awful. Um, and it's reduced of all of its pathos. They even changed Tim's gender. To a girl. He's a girl in the in the cartoon. Um, it's, it's not an awful episode. But yeah. You sat there going, they did this better in the comics. Roger Stern didn't get credited. So if you read it, it was a bit naff. Yes, it was one of them, but, but I would imagine if you hadn't read the comic, you were, oh, that's a very sad ending for a cartoon. Yeah. And then you, but if you'd read the comic... Is that you're eating going, your cereal on Fox Kids? Yeah, going, in the morning going, what? What the? Um, the credits are all on the letters page because Assistant Editor's Month was wacky like that. Were Marvel flat out lie to us? Did they? Yeah, in a reply to a letter wow, from Dan Porsche. We've never done that before. Well, uh, uh, the editor Bob Di Natale says that although John Romita Jr. is now drawing X Men, he's not leaving Spider Man. In two issues' time, Romita Jr. leaves Spider Man. <laughs> you can't tell me he didn't know that. I mean, I know he's the only assistant yeah. editor. I know he's only a pleb. <laughs> but uh, I'm surely you should have known that. Assistant editors do make coffee for the real editors. Yeah, pretty much, and do all the photocopying. Yeah, that's what they do. Get me more coffee, okay, Mr. Oh, okay. Uh The ads are mostly for Atari video games, but there's a little notice on the bullpen bulletins page for the Amazing Spider-Man Incredible Hulk animated hour on NBC. Okay. Which we quite like. Quick break to plug. Oh, I think we'll do the From Crisis to Crisis Reign of the Superman here. Okay. Because that's what they're doing now. Okay. And we'll be right back. The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, wife? Since when did you start meeting your staff at the airport? How'd you know I was returning on that flight? A good editor takes out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of one to one straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live. The Man of Steel. Man of Steel coming through. Nobody moves. This is a bust. The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down. Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us, and so from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, 
Michael Bailey, and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics, to the novelizations, to the audio drama, and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we are back. Although, in truth, we never really went anywhere, did we? No, really. We didn't even get up and have a pizza there, did we? No. No, we just rocked right on Electric Avenue. That's the one. (laughs) We're gonna rock on to Electric Avenue. Hey, look, there's Electro. And another Spidey comic. Speaking of which... Dylan hangs out in Curry's. Does he? Amazing Spider-Man 252. And if you know your Spider-Man, you know that number. I do, it's worth $60. Is it? Yeah, and you've drawn all of them. Mine isn't. (laughs) Mine's worth (laughs) buckets. Amazing Spider-Man 252. Unless I become very, very famous and my art is cherished. Versus Spider-Man 252 came out on January 31st, 1984, with a May 1984 cover date, and has a cover by Ron Friends, him again, and Klaus Janssen that is a pastiche of Amazing Spider-Man 15. No, it isn't. It's a pastiche of Amazing Fantasy 15. Get it right, Andrew. It's also a part of the, the story, only the, the yes, guy... Yes, it is. The yeah. guy's carrying his blackout. Yes, story. for some reason the guys are, are Caucasian on the cover. Don't know how that happened. Because <laughs> it doesn't even look like a colouring mistake, does it? He genuinely looks like he's drawn him to be Caucasian. Yeah, anyway. He's so scared all the colour ran out of his face. Yeah. <laughs> um, Spider-Man swings across New York with two people under his arms, a male and a female, but sporting an unfamiliar all-black costume that features only white eyes and a large spider across the chest with the eight arms caressing his ribcage. He went down to the hood. Yes, and got a new costume. The rumours are true. Introducing the new Spider-Man. It's really quite an effective. Yo, yo, yo. yo did you like that? <laughs> yeah. Yo, 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 people! Spider-Man in the hood. Check out my black costume. <laughs> a spike <laughs> joint. Uh, the costume, part of the Secret Wars series that we covered in a trilogy of fantastically, wonderfully magnificent episodes. Only they haven't taken place yet because this is before them. Yes. But set after them. Yes. <laughs> no, Secret Wars is set before this, but hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Only issue one's come out at this point. Right. Anyway, I did, I'm plugging our own show here, so... Yeah. Okay. We did Secret Wars for three issues. It were grand. We were great. We were great. We were oof, never better. Nope. <laughs> and if you believe that... We were never better, but every story we've covered is... Yeah, every issue we've covered since. Um, go back and listen to, listen to us mock that story, even though we quite liked it. Well, you did. Well, I did, yeah. Did you know the originally the costume was going to be black and red? Was it? Not black and white, yes. But it was decided that the red would bleed too much in the printing process. Mm. So they decided to go for white instead. Mike Zeck and Rick Leonardi have both been credited with having a hand in the design of the suit. So by definition, does that mean they created Venom? Or co-created Venom with David Michelini? Question, I don't know. Although, did they not create the costume and someone else did, though? If 
you fall on the side of the argument that says that the artist contributes 50% of the material, then, yeah. But they didn't, did they know about Venom? Yet? No. Well, there you go, then. No. So whoever said that the costume did come out to be Venom, then they created Venom. Right. Okay, fair enough. Table that. We'll talk about that next week when we do Amazing Spider-Man 300. Okay. Okie dokie. Homecoming. Oh, I didn't ask you what you thought of the cover. I like it. Good. I like the boobs you've drawn on Spider-Man. Yes, yes, I have doodled on the cover of this comic. <laughs> oh, you've you, you changed people's hair. Yes, well. yes, yes. If anyone has a copy of Amazing Spider-Man 252 in mint condition, they just want to give me to replace this well, issue. Give because I'll be damned if I'm buying another. Because in every other respect, this is in mint condition, isn't it? Yeah. This is in really good condition. I bought this off the shelf. I bought this brand new as it came out. Yeah, but maybe I should just get it slabbed. And that way they'd never know, would they? <laughs> slabbed, 9.9. Just tip it over the bit you've drawn on the front. Shut up. Homecoming. Homeward bound, I want to be. Homeward Bound Bit of Simon and Garfield uh, It was plotted by Roger Stone Scripted by Tom DeFalco Breakdowns by Ron Friends And finished out by Brett Breeding Joe Rosen lettered Glynis Ween coloured Danny Fingeroff edited And Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief The story for this one goes thusly Policemen and journalists gather around the area in Central Park As the world continues to wonder Where the many different heroes disappeared to When suddenly... A black-clad figure jumps out of the newly materialising alien structure carrying Damn, bro. Dr. Kurt Connors. Damn! Hey, man! That's a bad outfit! Identifying himself as Spider-Man, the black-clad figure takes his leave and escorts Connors home. Oh, they were writing off of Spider-Man for the time. Yes, yes they were. <laughs> Bendis just, just built his entire career on ripping up other people. Yeah. That's, that's a true fact. I have no basis for that, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, we spend a couple of pages catching up on subplots, and Peter gets something to eat. <laughs> he does. He develops the pictures he took on the Beyond a Patchwork Planet world, but decides to scrap them because no one would believe them anyway. And we've not designed them yet. <laughs> and we've not designed it yet. Um, when sleep isn't forthcoming, Peter dons his new costume and prevents a mugging. He happens across two teenagers arguing, and then Webb swings across the city with them. He imparts that it's often better to see the good in what you have rather than the ill, and both teens leave Spider-Man changed for the encounter. As for your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man, he's back in black. Oh dear me. Page one of this issue. It was quite a short synopsis this week. It was. There's not really a lot happens in this one really, does it? Black Cat shows up. Yeah. Shines her ass. She doesn't, she doesn't show her ass as much as she does nowadays. No. Not as much as Scarlett Johansson does in that Avengers film. It's not right. Okay. 3D, coming at you, Scarlett's ass. I'm sat there, and Loki's tiny in the background, and the ass has been the foreground. <laughs> 3D. I caught myself looking at the ass. and Noted feminism, Joss Whedon. Look at Scarlett Johansson's ass in 3D. <laughs> it takes up all the screen. It <laughs> Let's give you your money's worth, kids. <laughs> look at it. Oh, look at it. Isn't it juicy? Like a juicy peach. What's Loki say? Did he really just say that? I know what that means. Oh, oh dear me. Um, page one. Moving away swiftly from what Mewling Quinn means. Bleeding the date girl, on the you. Daily Bugle is February 4th, 1984. I thought it was quite unusual, that. That the date was actually clearly visible. Yeah. 
Because um, makes age more. Yeah, traditionally they didn't do that. Did they? The dates always obscured somehow. Yeah. Even when they're looking at gravestones, you very rarely see the date so that the, the boot doesn't date. Unless it's important. Unless it's important to the story. Yes. Then they normally do it. Um, they normally avoid stuff like that because the clear indicators for future readers like Bendis <laughs> disapproving Marvel time and generally pissing all over everybody's fun. Uh, it's a good splash page and was there's that some nice date it was released. Um it may no, no, it came out in the end of January, didn't it? So close enough. Yeah. Yeah, close enough for it to be the day of release. There's some good meta commentary on the use of covers in periodicals. Mm. Your front page will be a lot more striking if you just concentrate on a single exciting visual. There you go. Mm. What if that's an editorial tip? Maybe. Oddly. Everyone who do covers for Spider-Man yeah. later on where it's just floating heads. Floating heads of... Floating heads. The floating heads of depression. <laughs> um, oddly, for a, a comic book, it's instantly followed by another splash page. Mm. Which was quite unusual. As Jonah Jameson continues to look through the bugle and offer commentary. Continuity note. Jonah had resigned as the Daily Bugle's editor-in-chief at this point during the recent Hobgoblin story arc and promoted Robbie. The stories in the Bugle are all actual articles instead of the usual mix of random numbers and characters, which, again, was quite interesting. Yeah. I read all that. Did you? Conover's Corner has and exactly I, the same logo and picture as the Amazing Spider-Man 248, nice that? which I, was, I thought was a nice piece of content. I was going to note it, but I forgot. No, it's a good piece of content. Scarlet Witch. Yeah, where Scarlet I, Witch. Where I'm up to, she's just gone mental and turned everyone into... Mutants. Are you reading the Bendis Avengers stuff? I'm in the middle of House of M. Right. Spidey's joy at finally making it back home is palpable. Even kissing a New York flat foot. Which I thought was quite funny. A oh, a cop, right. A copper. A rosa. <laughs> kissing him as much as he can through that mask. Yes, it's the Albanian rosas. <laughs> <laughs> the Floridian rosas, in my case. So, when did Spidey leave with Doc Connors? Wasn't he the lizard when all the heroes left together no if you remember Secret Wars he got changed back to normal at the end did he yeah because they thought he was dead I remember him just leaving him on a rock no he took Kirk Connors with him because yeah. if you remember he didn't tell the rest of the heroes who Kirk Connors was he just says he, he found him this guy wandering around From he didn't Detroit, mention that he was a lizard yeah, right. yeah right. so I'll take him home with me it's alright oh, okay. if you recall I can understand why you may have expunged Secret <laughs> Wars from your memory page 8 was our first look at the abilities of the new costume. Remember, in the old days, when golden days, lad, fourth internet, we only had fanzines and, and word of mouth and letters pages. We didn't have no fancy computery techno babble an hour. With the old big computers that go... Yeah, and had big turning tapes on them. And took forever to actually calculate. Yes, that was that. Um, this, we'd seen a couple of images of it. Yeah. Other than that, by and large, we hadn't seen it at all. And instantly we see the web shoot from the back of Peter's hands rather than from the usual wrists. And that it can move in response to his mental commands. DeFalco actually does a really cool job here. Whilst the suit is a little sci-fi for Peter Parker, his first act upon return, and he's trying to recover the clothes that he left when he disappeared, the jacket and the shoes have gone. And his shirt's been made into a bird's nest, fortunately. His wallet and keys are still in his shirt pocket. Now, I wouldn't have thought Peter would be stupid enough to leave his wallet and keys in a tree in Central Park. Well, But maybe he didn't think he'd be gone that long. Well, he wasn't. He hasn't gone yet. That's very true. Yeah. So how does the costume shoot webs? Why does it not shoot its own sticky, gooey, symbiote self? Um, it's not explained per se, but it is a plot point in Amazing Spider-Man 300, if you recall. The webs 
coming from the costume. Okay. They're generated by him, similar to what they would be in the Spider-Man movie. So when he's wearing this costume, he shoots web. No, look, the suit's generating the web right. out of itself. Right. So ultimately, that's how he defeats him in Spider-Man 300. He gets him to shoot that much web in. Yeah. That he wears himself out. I've just given away the end to the comic. We'll cover it next week. Fair enough. Oh, I've changed my mind to do another one. Yeah. It's just an excuse to read more Spider-Man, isn't it? Page seven. Yes, Connors, you should keep quiet. We're all returning from something that hasn't even happened yet. And I thought she'd got his books out on time. He does. You're just being just unnecessarily nitpicky. I'm not being nitpicky. It's a big loophole that we already know how the story ends when it's not even out yet we don't know how it ends we don't know how Spider-Man got the costume yet I suppose it's a bit of a what's going on here what's this new costume ah Spider-Man's in secret how is it any different to one year later when DC did that That I didn't bother that did you know no, it confused me, because I'm just like, why release a title that's based one year ahead of the current title you're doing right now? Um, I vaguely recall enjoying Up, Up and Away, and Face to Face. And Green Lantern. And was Green Lantern good as well? Yeah. Okay. Ivan Reese, that look. Oh, quite like Ivan Reese. Mm-hmm. Uh, page eight, the costume has a built-in fanny pack. <laughs> you can't say a fanny pack. Fanny pack means something completely what do you want different to say? over here. Crotch pack. Bum bag. <laughs> but it's on his bum, it's on his front. It's so... Uh, if, anyth- if anything, swiftly if only get a fanny pack in England is more accurate than what it would be here in America. Oh, yes, but, that, but it means something else over here. So we're not, we're not going to dwell <laughs> too much on what fanny pack means. There's still our American listeners. It's like in Married with Children, where Peggy Bundy's maiden name was Wanker. <laughs> Because they, they thought that in a, that's not a slang term for anything in America, so they didn't know what it meant, so they got away with calling her family the wankers on network television. <laughs> it was very funny. Uh, and you can say it even in a family show because it, it was their names. There's nothing yeah. we can do about that, we're not swearing. Nope. We're using it in the proper context. Oh, yeah. Page nine. Lovely Billy Connors, Kurt Connors' son, is a bit of an odd one, isn't he? Even by Marvel time, he was a young lad. <laughs> He's twenty-four. In his first appearance, <laughs> yeah, in which his dad became the lizard. He just seems to differ in age, depending on who draws him. Mm. Here he looks to be about fourteen, <laughs> but he'll de-age and re-age over the years. Isn't he dead now? Isn't the lizard eating him or something? <laughs> Don't worry, son. Everything is all right now until I turn into the lizard and eat you. <laughs> did, did that really happen? I didn't imagine that. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Page 10. That's just a Hey, look, we have some uh, guest inking by Andrew Lund. Yeah, I have inked this page. <laughs> God, I'm a buffoon. <laughs> uh, subtle foreshadowing of the issue further down the line when Peter will take Reed up on his offer to analyse the suit. Of course, that's when his troubles will really begin. Page 11 and 12. Some catching up continuity-wise with the black cat and what she's been up to in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. This was the period where Spider-Man and the cat were dating and he'd revealed his secret identity to her, a move that didn't go down particularly well when Peter realised that the cat loved Spider-Man and couldn't give a rat's ass about Peter Parker. Following her near death at the hands of the owl, the cat made a deal with the kingpin to give her superpowers, a development as yet Peter knows nothing about. Again, something that would have major ramifications for the character and Felicia Hardy, the titular black cat, still has her bad luck powers to this day, I think, doesn't oh, she? so that's where she got it from. Yeah. She still has them, Wait, doesn't no, she? No, it's good luck powers, isn't it? We're good luck, bad luck. She has It causes luck. bad luck for other people. But it's good luck Good luck for, for her, because she's a black cat. Yeah. See how that works? Yeah. Very good. 
So uh, the costume also ejaculates handy objects on page 14. It, it just pops stuff out of his crotch whenever he wants <laughs> pops something. Pops out of his fanny pack. His, his camera just goes pop and appears as if by magic. From, from <laughs> oh, a his, picture of my pubic hair from his nether region <laughs> yes excellent hopefully it didn't take any photos while it was in there because that would be bad page 16 there is some more interesting foreshadowing Peter not being able to sleep will become a major plot point and will culminate in his visit to Reed Richards to get the suit looked at I can't he sleep because it's the costume's the go taking him out at night yeah uh, you remember that you've read all of these haven't you the black I've read Costume the, the saga. McFarlane graphic novel. Oh, right, so you've not read any of the so original So is it like issues? in Spider-Man 3 where he sleeps and the costume takes him out and then yes. drops him back off? Yes. Right, okay. Exactly the same thing. Okay. Page 17 is hysterical. Or I thought it was. Spider-Man stops him mugging without lifting a finger. And yeah. we get one of those Spider-Man is moving so fast there's multiple copies of him in the same panel shots that are always fun. Clone saga. What's the clone saga? Is there? They're all clones. They're all clones. All right, so it's not a different. It's not a different. It's not Spider-Man moving really fast. It's just lots of different guys. Yeah. Oh, okay, fair it's, enough. It's the Cirque du Soleil Man. Cirque du Spider-A. Yeah. Because that is called parkour, which kind of fits, doesn't it? Yeah. Page 18 and 19, the two teenagers that Peter picks up uh, are named Justin and Wheezy. I've no idea if Justin's named after anyone, but Wheezy has to be a tip of the hat to Louise Simonson, who was credited as Wheezy in a number of her comic books. Um, these last couple of pages are really cool. I like that Justin is the one who's afraid of heights and starts to feel sick, despite all this tough talk, and Wheezy just really gets off on it, doesn't she? Mm. She really enjoys this. Uh, Spidey's words really hit home to her. The message, appreciate what you've got when you've got it, is trite. But it's a very important one. I did that an awful lot, didn't I, on holiday? What? I would just stop and have a minute and you lot are all like what are you doing what are you doing dad I'm just enjoying the moment enjoy the moment seize the moment yeah because it's especially important to me now when you lot are all growing up and starting to become adults and you don't stay kids long it's very sad you're finishing school in six weeks time it's not even that about two or three you know I used to lie you on the floor next to me reading comics. Still do. We don't lie on the floor anymore reading comics like we used to well, do. Well, no, but there's been a few odd occasions that I'd be, like, lying on your bed reading comics and you'd come in next to me reading comics. Yeah. Haven't, we got, like, haven't we got a little photo of me lying on the bed reading a comic and you as a baby lying at the side of me looking at a comic? Well, there's one where I'm kind of... You're lying on the floor lifting yourself up and I'm underneath you reading the same comic book. Oh, right, right. cool. Because I know we've got one of you reading Batman Adventures. Yeah. When you were very tiny. There's one where um, it's me and Grandad Ari sat there reading one. Reading a comic. Yeah. Cool. Yes, and you don't, you're, you're quite old now. Still lying on the floor reading comics. Yeah, you'll do that till you're ancient. <laughs> I know. I still do it. Defalco's run really started with the last issue. And he's much more flowery writer than Stern, but it was good, just as good in its own way. DeFalco proves here, Andy would prove over the next 30 years, that he has an excellent grasp of the character and would be one of Spider-Man's best writers. And I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. I was deep into picking up the US editions at this point as Marvel UK announced they would not be printing the black costume stories. 
Of course, this turned out to be flannel, and as soon as they had a decent backlog, Marvel UK started publishing Secret Wars. It was a solid debut issue that would become a pivotal moment in the character's life. The black costume would become phenomenally popular, with even Marvel quite surprised at what happened. After the realisation that it's an organic suit and bonding with Peter, which is why he can't sleep, Peter ditches the suit, but the black cat makes him a cloth one. For a while, he'll wear two suits, black and white and the red and the blue. Um... It's a bit where Mary Jane makes him throw the cloth one in the yes, fire. Yes, that's later on, yeah. The red and the blue one will be presumably destroyed forever. Well, as forever as a comic book can master in a web of Spider-Man story art by David Michelini. The black suit will bond with Eddie Brock, creating Venom, and Spider-Man will return to the red and blues, and Venom's popularity will skyrocket. As Michael just pointed out in Amazing Spider-Man 300 that we're covering next week... Uh, which we've already ruined the ending of, so Murray Jane will make him throw away the black cloth one. Not, I suspect, because it freaked her out when Venom was wearing it because it was made by his (laughs) ex-girlfriend. She don't want that around the house. So it wasn't because Venom came to her and kind of attacked her? Yeah, that's what she said, but we know what women are like. Your your ex-girlfriend bought you that, didn't it? I don't like it. No, no, she didn't bite me, she made it, miss. I don't like it. Get rid of it. (laughs) Um... Oh, oh, where'd this shirt come from? Uh, um, on the bullpen bulletin play- page, I have crossed off all the books that I bought that month. The Thing 11, Fantastic Four Special Edition number one, representing the classic FF Annual number one. Amazing Spider Man 252, Captain America 293, Marvel Tales 163, Fantastic Four 266, and Peter Parker the Spectacular Spider Man 90 were the ones I bought off here. Since then, or maybe I just didn't tick them off, I've got Daredevil 206, a blah, 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 Avengers 243, uh, I had all of that A-Team limited series, I just mustn't have crossed have it an off. A-Team annual. Uh, and Alpha Flight number 10 and Star Wars 83. Right. Maybe I just didn't cross them off. Um, because he owned Toy Biz, the action figure company, cartoon producer Avi Arad will insist that the story of the black costume be adapted into the 90s cartoon series as soon as humanly possible, as in the first season, and he badges Sam Raimi to include him in all three of the Spider-Man movies. Raimi will decline, and then unfortunately capitulate in the third movie to mixed results, um, but they'll adapt the cartoon version of events rather than the comic book version of events. Right. So the, the film adapts the cartoon, which, which adapts, adapts the, the comic. comic. Okay. Yeah, it's all very confusing, isn't it? Oh, Spider-Man 3 sucked ass. For the most part, there were bits that were cool. Yeah. Second one's best. Oh, see, I like the first one best. I like the second one because it is Spider-Man. Mm. Everything goes well for him and then everything starts sucking. Man, Spider-Man, what big boobs you have. Shit, do I look like a ca- uh, Rob Liffield Captain America to you? <laughs> That's staying in, is it? Yes. Uh, finally tonight, in our lovely little look at quality Spider-Man issues that don't get enough love. Well, the, the previous two probably, probably did. get enough love. But this one... This one doesn't. This one doesn't. Finally tonight, Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 18, which came out on August 28, 1984 and has a really cool cover by Ron Friends and Jackson Butch Geis. The cover copy tells us that the Scorpion takes a bride... But it's J. Jonah Jameson's, and that the issue is scripted by Stan the Man Lee. You just can't let go. You can't, no. Uh, Spider-Man is upside down, carrying the aforementioned bride, actually Marla Madison, who is screaming as the scorpion hurls a corner of a building at him. Holding her so that he can't see her skirt. 
It's very good of him to do that, isn't it? To it protect is. her modesty. Well done, Spidey. Always the gentleman. <laughs> On the opposite building, a New York cop. Probably one of the only two in New York City. And Jonah himself. Watch on. Friends uses the most stylized scallops on Spider-Man's suit, and it's a really nice touch that Marlowe's only wearing one shoe. Over here, this was chopped into three parts and serialized in the regular Spider-Man weekly comic. Entitled... Why the police officer, like... Shoot. Do something about yeah. the scorpion instead of watching Spider-Man. Just standing there. Interesting, the corner box is still in his black costume. This is after. Yes, this is after the black costume. Entitled The Scorpion Takes Bride, but not the way you think. The issue was plotted by Tom DeFalco, with breakdowns by Ron Friends and finishes by Bob Layton and Jackson Weiss. Bob Sharon coloured, Joe Rosen letter, Danny Fingeroff edited, and Jim Shooter editor-in-chief. But the key selling point of the issue, scripted for the first time in 12 years by Stan Lee. And so the story goes. Spider-Man follows a hold-up of the first national bank, leading to a very exciting opening. Peter Parker sets up his automatic camera and snags a front-page shot of Spider-Man catching a falling helicopter with bad guys in it as they attempt to escape. Peter takes the photo into the Daily Bugle, where Robbie Robertson practically snatches off his hand to purchase the picture. Whilst there, Peter learns that J. Jonah Jameson's finally asked scientist Marla Madison to marry him. Jonah moses on over to a sanitarium in the suburbs where his son John is being kept. John is having some issues and does not react well to Jonah's news. Also in the sanitarium... Mac Gargan, a.k.a. The Scorpion, is also here, although he doesn't know who is paying for it. Upon hearing of Jonah's impending nuptials, Gargan breaks free, swearing that Jonah will pay. See, Jonah Jameson paid for Gargan to become the Scorpion years ago, and on his way out, the Scorpion grabs John Jameson and busts loose. The police inform Jonah at a party to celebrate his wedding... And, overhearing, Peter switches to Spidey and searches for the Scorpion. Unfortunately, Spidey is searching the skies whilst the Scorpion is in the sewers, where he's left John Jameson hung on a pike in a straitjacket. Scorpion, knowing Jonah will be surrounded by police protection, instead heads over to Jonah's fiancée, Marla Madison. But luckily, Spider-Man has Marla covered. McFightenstein follows, but the Scorpion is more powerful than Spider-Man and overpowers him. Meanwhile, John escapes from his cage. Jonah eludes his police protection, and Spider-Man recovers long enough to pick up Marla Madison and run for the hills. The Scorpion follows, as does Jonah, and John looks upon the scene as well. With Spider-Man distracted, the Scorpion corners the once and future Jamesons, and Jonah confesses it's been him all along who's been paying for the Gargan's treatment as he feels guilty for everything he's done. Scorpion gives Jonah a choice. Pick who's going to die, the son or the fiancé. Fortunately, our hero is on hand to prevent Jonah from making such a choice, and he lays some smack down on the Scorpion. Tired and exhausted, Spidey manages to save the wedding day, and Jonah and Marla get hitched. Aw, how nice. Page one of this wonderful issue is awesome! I love that splash pad. Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Spider-Man's got a big arse again. Which must be a friend's thing. Is that another thing you love? Yes, I'm, I'm deeply digging on Spidey's ass. They seem to be thrusting her tassels front and centre in these two issues, though, don't they? Yeah. Oh, funny, this issue was 3D. And if only if it was Scarlett Johansson's ass in 3D. Black Spider Woman. Black Spider Woman. Black Widow Woman. Cat. Yeah. Just a silly name. Um, playing Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the pose. I love the skyline in the background. I love the colours, which aren't garish and don't have the sky coloured pink. I love the helicopter and the occupant shooting at the cops and the cops shooting back. I love the old spider signal emblem is back in the corner and that the colouring is inverted. If you don't like this splash page, you have no soul. 
And if you point out that Spidey's got a little bit of a fat ass, well, you're looking at the wrong thing. It's a bit dated with its reference to the A-Team, but I can give that a pass. The A-Team still gets shown in syndication, doesn't it? All the time. So an episode while we were in America. Yeah. When I was channel surfing, an episode of the A-Team was on. I watched Burn Notice. Yes, Burn Notice was on quite a lot, wasn't it? And then it? the girls' basketball. The girls' basketball seems to linger heavy in your mind. <laughs> Do you like the splash page? Yes. Good. <laughs> I, 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 I want to have a soul. <laughs> and, oh, and so I will love the splash page so I don't have my soul I will learn to love it. Yeah, okay. Pages two through four. Everything that is awesome about Spider-Man in three pages. Acrobatic skill, check. During do, check. Webbing doing cool stuff, check. Overconfidence getting him his head handed to him, check. Last minute save, check. Fantastic. The art is fantastic with friends giving his all. Ably supported by Gwyce and Leighton. And the panel on the top of page three where Spidey's pulling the streets of New York by the helicopter, just feet above the heads of the pedestrians, is marvellous. And... It's capped off with Spider-Man saving the helicopter from falling in a perfect blend of using his brains, brawn, and sheer panic. Mm. It has to be said. <laughs> um, at page six. Oh, yeah. This delivery guy's an average teenager. I got some stuff for you. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even know what it is. Mm. Stuff for the game of Page six. You want fries with that? You want fries with that? Pages six through eight, I love the person of the artwork and the difference between the first four pages. The action scene at the top of the book is paced with bigger panels and smaller ones to emphasise the action. By contrast, the Daily Bugle section of the book on these pages is represented by a traditional, a traditional, a traditional nine-panel grid, and the backgrounds and the level of detail is exceptional. Any page where Spider-Man shows up at office with flowers and kisses him good luck has got to be a winner. I love Jonah's line about needing a rabies shot. <laughs> and it's the second time in two issues that we've covered tonight that Spidey's kissed a bloke. Yeah. We're already gay friendly tonight, aren't we? <laughs> Spider-Man's arse and Spider-Man's guy on guy. Yeah, you know. I don't mind that. <laughs> Women are exploited enough in comics as it is. Wow. Scarlett Johansson's arse. Well, let's turn this into Spartacus. Yeah. <laughs> Look at my little spider. Let's not encourage. Page, page seven. Someday I'll tell her what I'd like to squash. Um... <laughs> That's a weird fetish you have, though. Yeah, like, uh, was he? Was he mean? Um, <laughs> Someday I'll show him. I like to squash. Was, was that a failed attempt at innuendo? <laughs> don't know. I don't know. It's, it seems quite weird. He looks like Zachary Levi, yeah. Peter Parker in this page, doesn't he? With his square haircut. Do the Spider Man. Spider Man. Page nine with the black suit. Giving you an indication that uh, this was afterwards. Was altered in the UK reprint to remove any references to the black costume. Really? Yeah. Because we we weren't doing that storyline. Until we changed our mind. (laughs) And then we did that storyline. Page 10. I don't remember what happened to John Jameson that resulted in being in the sanatorium. He did become Manwolf for a while. And according to the Spider-Man official index, his last appearance was in the Peter Parker Spectacular Spider-Man Annual 3, which I do have and has a Manwolf cover but the specifics of that storyline escaped me, so I don't know why he was a bit off sure, yeah. in this issue. Well, he, he seems a bit more petulant than he does in Yeah, he does seem to have reverted a bit mentally, doesn't he? Mm. So I don't know, I don't quite recall what that was, and oddly there's no footnote telling us, no. which strikes me as a bit strange. Page 12, 
There are a number of references to previous story in this issue, and again, no footnotes. Given Stan scripted the issue, I found that a bit odd. In addition to the John Jameson stuff, which I just mentioned, there's a flashback to Matt Gargan being transformed into the Scorpion, on Jameson's coin, obviously, with no reference to this being Amazing Spider-Man 29. Maybe you forgot. Yeah, possibly. Maybe they just couldn't be bothered. That too. Hmm. Page 13 to 16. Once again... It's hard to imagine some of today's writers taking the Scorpion seriously, rather treating him as a second stringer, but DeFalco well, plays it. Anyway. Is he dead? Matt Gurkin. <sighs> Matt Miller killed him off. So who's... Who's Scorpion now, then? Eddie Brock? Well, no, he's know. anti-Venom now. Yeah. Some in the New Ways to Die story, they got the new Venom to be Scorpion, I think. Flash Thompson's the new Venom. No, the Venom before Flash Thompson. Oh, right. Mm. Well, yeah. I think DeFalco plays him as really dangerous. He tears his way out of a straitjacket, rips off a steel door, and then murders the security guard. That security guard who I quite liked. Yeah. He seems really quite nice. Yeah. And Scorpion kills him. And friendly towards Scorpion. And Scorpion kills him. Choose your friends. Choose your enemies. Mm. Scorpion is cool in this story, though. Yeah. He's not a a C-lister in this issue. Um... He escapes from the sanatorium, which is quite coolly done. Page 17, subplot alert. One of the few occasions in this issue that the ongoing Spider-Man narrative is referred to, Peter Parker is wondering about Ned Leeds. Ned Leeds will be revealed to be the Hobgoblin after he's already dead. Right. He wouldn't see that coming. But then he's revealed to not be the Hobgoblin. Oh, they're doing Clone Saga. No, it's not the clone No, I'm just saying. It turns out he's not. Then yeah. that is, and he turns out he's the real hobgoblin. But then he wasn't, <laughs> and then he is, and then yes. Mm. Well, um, page nineteen. Yes. Um, because if they couldn't stop me, how could they stop the scorpion? Well, there's a bit of a difference between stopping some stealthy rat and a big, dropping, angry. Scorpion. Yeah, you, you do have the argument though, that Spidey's been quite stealthy and Scorpion would just run through the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be quite funny. It's a subtle thing, but the dialogue in this issue has none of the usual stanisms. No. Did you notice? Golly, gosh. Walloping web snappers. Uh, I forgot what a waltz is, however will I defeat the Scorpion. <laughs> um, it's not overly melodramatic, and actually it's quite realistic in places. The scenes in the Daily Bugle are especially well written. Yeah. So maybe DeFalco had a bit more of a hand in it than we're, we're led to believe. He just put Stanley's name on it. Yeah. He possibly. said, guys, how about we have Spider-Man fight the Scorpion again? I just see all. Bye. <laughs> he left. Um, Knew that's not a bad idea. Yeah, it's a great idea. It's nice to see Captain Jean DeWolf again. Whilst Peter David would give her an excellent send-off, it was a shame to lose one of the few characters on the police force that actively liked Spider-Man. Did they turn her into the question? Uh, no, they don't turn her into the question. <laughs> they just kill her. Uh-huh. Unfortunately. The scenes of Spider-Man sneaking around past the coppers that you've just mentioned are really well laid out. The colouring in page 20 is awesome. Uh, but on page 22, one swipe of his tail and the scorpion takes out four of this crack SWAT team. Power wang. Excuse me? <laughs> Number wang! Page 23, panel 4, where the scorpion is smacked across the, sp- the space. Smacked across the face by Spider-Man. Is excellent. As is the following page. Where, for the second time in two weeks, we're covering a comic where Spider-Man fights in the dark. It's really effective that the only time there's light is when the scorpion uses his tail to try and kill Spider-Man. This fight scene goes on over two pages. And having it fade to black just as Spider-Man is taken down with a haymaker, 
is awesome. The colouring's really good on that page as well. Yeah. But it's, it's, everything's pretty much yellow. I liked it. I thought this was really good. Page 29. When I read this as a kid, uh, the fact that John Jameson took off layers of skin while escaping from that straitjacket gave me chills. Mm. I just remember reading that when I was... A, I was how old were I? been 12. And going, oh! How many layers of skin do you have? Well... If they're all really, really thin, you must have... A fair bit of them. Mm, and he scraped off lots of skin to take the straight jacket off. Mm. But uh, they just went through me that. Um, I thought the pacing in this was really well handled. Friends uses now panel grids, giving it a real old school feel in terms of the art. But there's so much story here and so much great dialogue. The fight scene on page 30, where Spider Man takes Marla and evades missiles in mid air, is simply fantastic. The patented Spidey Wise cracks are present and correct, and the final battle, where Spider Man defeats the Scorpion through sheer willpower and dogged determination, putting these all into one final punch is fantastic. I've kind of given the last couple of pages of this short shrift, but I just ran out of superlatives to describe how much I enjoyed reading this issue. DeFalco and Lee never skimp on the characterisation with John, Marler and Juna all coming out of this as fully developed three dimensional characters and the final page of the wedding even has a few special guest stars with Stan Lee and Tom DeFalco making an appearance at the wedding and Jim Salicrup I think by the looks of things although I've never met him I think that's what he looks like um, why Jonah would invite those to his wedding yeah. I don't really know invite the people from Marvel Comics uh, why? I don't know. They make my ass look good. <laughs> yeah. uh, in every other respect, this was an excellent issue that, for whatever reason, never seems to be on people's best of lists, but deserves to be, I think. Do you think uh, she's only with him for the money? She's not with him for anything now. Well, I know, but Mal Madison, she looks a bit too young to be going out with Jonah. It's the money. No, uh, see, I always got that Mal Madison was in her mate late 40s and Jonah was always only supposed to be in his late 40s early 50s I think this, so. this, this last page the wedding yeah well okay. you know how long she, your mum was in makeup for about, the wedding she looks about 15 and he looks like 70 she's got lots of makeup on that's what they do in weddings they make the woman look gorgeous and the bloke looks like me <laughs> so that's <laughs> a choice did you like it yeah you were busy doing other well, things weren't you I was trying to read it yes I know but it, 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 it was kind of I know how that ends so it was a bit uh, yeah it has in been in hindsight it, it has like, been kind of tainted by uh, what's happened die. in recent Spider-Man books you're going it? to have a really good funeral issue but you're still going to die yeah well Marlon Madison as Peter uh, Peter you're not Peter are you you're no, Michael no, no. Marlon Madison as Michael has mentioned yes I am created the Spider Slayers in Amazing Spider-Man 165 which is where she fed met Jonah and then she was killed by Spencer Smythe creator of the Spider Slayer in Amazing Spider-Man 654 that's irony Alanis oh irony isn't, it, Isn't ironic? it ironic? Don't you think? Uh, once again, given it's vintage, there's an inordinate amount of adverts for Atari video games and Secret Wars action figures. Yeah. Which I thought was quite nice. But the best ads this time round are for the new slew of Saturday morning cartoons. We didn't get Saturday morning cartoons per se. 
we had magazine programs like Swap Shop and Saturday Superstore and Going Live and all that garbage that had cartoons within them. And there was always kid shows on regular TV after school, normally between 3.15 and 5.30, which is where these tended to be screened. CBS's lineup for September 1984 included a few shows we didn't get, Saturday Supercade and Pryor's Place. And can I just say, the idea of Richard Pryor having a cartoon show seems very odd to me. Can you imagine a kid-friendly Bill Hicks cartoon? <laughs> it's like Gary Busey. He hosts his own yeah, children's it's, cartoon. It's, no, it's, Can you it's, imagine him doing in the night garden? Oh, God. It's, it, it's just wrong. Oh, no, get um, it. oh no, great. So, I'll keep it up there. Many levels. Uh, Muppet Babies started, but that had a great Star Wars episode. But the actually used clips from Star Wars. Okay. Very good. The Get Along Gang and Pole Position were all shown over here. <laughs> pole Position! Yes, that was a cartoon. Okay. Mm. Uh, the best of this lot. No, not, not that kind of pole position. <laughs> uh, the best of the lot was Dungeons and Dragons, which was a really cool cartoon from Marvel that bore little to no resemblance to the RPG of the same name, but was probably all the better for it. Dungeons and Dragons was great. NBC had a bunch of cartoons. Full of, full of spots on your face and glasses with dice. No, I never played Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> but the cartoon was brilliant. Okay. At least like Dungeons and Dragons. Anyway, NBC had a bunch of cartoons I've never heard of. Kid Video, Snorks, The Pink Panther and Sons and Going Bananas. As far as I'm aware, never made it over here. But Mr. T did. Mr. T. <laughs> Uh, 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 Mr. T. Okay. There were the lyrics, Mr. T. Just like, no, 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 Batman. It's like, we came up with a theme tune and then the guy realised I can make more money if it has lyrics, what can I do? I know, I'll just say Mr. Mr. T over and over again. Mr. T. Genius. Mr. T. Genius. Mr. T. And he pays the fool. No, he didn't even have that level of imagination. He was just Mr. T. Um, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends started. Mr. T. That would work as well. It didn't Firestorm or Firebird or... Firestar. Yeah. Yes. Didn't she originate from Yes, and alias Bendis wanted to use Angelica Jones, which was Firestar. Firestar, but they wouldn't let him, so it became Angelica what? Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones, yeah. So he had to change the name, but he originally wanted that to be Firestar. Oh, and if you oh, read it, for changing it, you know, if you read that, knowing that the series that's like, oh, okay, oh, so is that with the whole Avengers stuff? Yeah. Oh. Alvin and the Chipmunks. We did no. get that over here. Oh, it's Smurfs. Yes, we got Smurfs over here. Well, three D. Directed by James Cameron. I, I don't know that we got it in three D. I don't think we did. No. No, that was that was Avatar. Sorry, I only just got what you were talking about. <laughs> oh, I do apologise. I'm half asleep. Uh, that's it for this week. That's our three choices: a mixture of classics, old and new. Well, <laughs> mostly old. Mostly old. <laughs> next time on Spider-Man Month is next week, week four. Mm. All right. So next week is the last week that we'll be covering covering uh, famous issues. And next week I'm covering special anniversary issues. Uh, this is not to be confused with the special anniversary issues that I'm going to be covering with Michael Bailey on Views from the Long Box. They're completely different issues. Oh. So if you listen to that, you can make view, you can make our Spider-Man month an extra week long by having a Views from the Long Box in there. Next week, so you can dig them out of your long boxes and read them. 
unless you don't have me. Unless you don't have me, in which case you can illegally torrent them, but I don't encourage that. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I can't. I some good websites. Yeah. Those pirates. But, but we, we don't encourage this. No, we no, don't. We don't. <laughs> Those um, pirates on that pirate thing, you know. Wrong sites. Pirates of the Caribbean was crap. Oh. You know the new... All four of them. All of them are crap. The first one. But everyone says, well, the first one's good. No, no, it isn't. No, it really isn't. It's crap. They're all crap. <laughs> Every one of them crap. Well, I'm sorry, Andrew. <laughs> anyway, piece of crap. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. God, you know you're going to let me tell them what next week. No, 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 no. Don't bother debating it. Don't bother getting in touch with me and saying, yeah, the three sequels were awful, but the first one was good. No, they're all crap. Next so one... <laughs> Spectacular Spider-Man 200 by J.M.D. Mateus and Sal Buscema. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 300 by David Michelini and Todd McFarlane, which there's no real point talking about because we've ruined it. (laughs) We've ruined the ending to it this week. Spider-Man wins. It's all good. Um, Amazing Spider-Man. Amazing Spider-Man 400 by GM DeMatteis, Matt Bagley, John Romita Jr. and Senior, and Tom Grummet. I've already done my notes for them because I thoroughly enjoyed reading them. So Michael will chip in as usual. And then the week after that, top ten. Yep. Favorite episodes Episodes. of Amazing Spider-Man that were actually printed as comics. What if the TV show was a comic? See how I saved myself. Oh, yeah, very good. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, We'll be back next week. Hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. Bye. Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics.